that he should be desired. At his birth, there was no room in the inn, which foreshadowed the treatment he was to receive at the hands of men. Shortly after his birth, Herod sought to slay him, and this intimated the hostility his person evoked and forecast the cross as the climax of man's enmity. Again and again, his enemies attempted his destruction, and now their vile desires are granted them. The Son of God had yielded himself up into their hands. A mock trial had been gone through, and though his judges found no fault in him, nevertheless, they had yielded to the insistent clamoring of those who hated him as they cried again and again, crucify him. The fell deed had been done. No ordinary death would suffice his implacable foes. A death of intense suffering and shame was decided upon. A cross had been secured. The savior had been nailed to it. And there he hangs, silent. But presently his pallid lips are seen to move. Is he crying for pity? No. What then? Is he pronouncing malediction upon his crucifiers? No. He is praying, praying for his enemies. Then Jesus said. Then Jesus said, and you can just think about what's all before the then. What's all come after what he said? All of it. Because then Jesus said, says these seven sayings on the cross, these seven prayers, these seven things that we are to remember. In Lent, we are going to start today, and we're going to take a seven-week journey all the way up to Easter on those seven sayings on the, on the cross, the teachings, the last teachings of Jesus before his death and before his resurrection. This is Jesus' sermon on the cross. David Nicosa knew not what he did. David was a businessman, 55-year-old businessman, in Chicago and outside Cork, uh, Cook County Courthouse. He became angry with a 79-year-old African-American woman. And after arguing with her, uh, Nokosa, who is white, slapped her. He knew not what he did. Slapped her and called her Rosa Parks. As if that, I guess, is an insult. Uh, then he turned and spoke to the crowd. It was a bad move for Nicosa because he knew not what he did. You see, the woman he happened to slap was Judge Arnett Hubbard. Wow. That's a big deal, right, Judge? But Judge Arnett Hubbard wasn't just any judge. She was the first female president of the National Bar Association. She was a community icon, an activist in the community. Everyone knew Judge Hubbard, except for Nicosa. Didn't know who he had slapped. I mean, she was renowned. People beloved her. She was an election certifier in South Africa and Haiti. She had traveled the world, had been advocating for the poor, for, against racism. Judge Hubbard was a big deal. Nicosa knew not what he did. Of course, Nicosa was arrested by the sheriffs, and he was uh, charged with four counts of aggravated battery and a hate crime. 
the Chicago Tribune quoted a local leader who said, people of good common sense and decency, people of good hearts should be outraged by this. After all, nobody should be slapping and spitting on a community icon. With freshly pierced hands, Jesus is lifted up from the earth and hoisted on a cross. Serving the sentence of death, handed down by the high priest, approved by Pilate, and demanded by the crowd. In that moment, Jesus utters his first words on the cross. Now, Jesus was a community icon. I mean, he wasn't just popular with his disciples, but the whole crowd, just a week before, ushered him in Jerusalem, putting out palms and saying, hey, he's the king! Shouting, Hosanna on the highest! As a community uh, icon, Jesus was a pillar of virtue, a moral beacon in society. One can imagine the first words Jesus on the cross would be, don't you know who I am? I am the I am. I'm the son of God. I'm your creator. I am your God. Jesus knew they didn't know. I mean, they knew who he claimed to be. That's why he's on the cross. Make no mistake. That's why the Jews wanted him dead. Because he claimed to be God. They just didn't believe it. We don't have to imagine what Jesus spoke, because Jesus spoke it, it's written down, and it's words that don't surprise us because it's actually what he taught us to do. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In that moment, Jesus prays. He doesn't preach, he doesn't chastise, he doesn't rebuke, he prays. And more specifically, it's a prayer of intercession. Jesus prays to the Father to intercede on their behalf. That moment shouldn't surprise us. It shouldn't surprise us that Jesus on the cross prays for those that crucify him. In fact, it was foretold 700 years before the cross. Isaiah 53, 12 says, Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death. This is interesting. Who pours out his soul to death? Is it taken from him? No, he does it. He pours out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors there between two criminals. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for his transgressors. There it is. It predicts Jesus is going to intercede on our behalf. As he bears the punishment of our sin, he intercedes for transgressors. The mere fact that he is hanging there, dying on the cross, receiving a punishment, it is isn't our punishment he's taking the place of. That is intercession in itself. That he is interceding by taking our penalty, death. But more than that, more than Jesus just standing in our place, he mediates between us and the Father with his words. He prayed 
for his murderers. He interceded for his crucifiers. He made intercession for their forgiveness. And in case you're confused about who he's actually interceding for, it's you and I who are his murderers, who are his crucifiers. Intercession is the summary of all of Jesus' work. Jesus intervenes for us. He represents us to the Father. The grand truth of God's grace is that before we utter the words, I believe, I love you, Jesus, Jesus is Lord, Jesus prays and intercedes for us. I'm not I'm talking at the cross that he's interceding for us. Before we even other, before the apostles believed, Jesus interceded on their behalf, prayed to the Father to have them. In John 17, 20, the high priestly prayer, before his crucifixion, Jesus says this to the Father, I do not ask for these only, his apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's you and I. That's you and I that he's interceding there. Before he goes to the cross, he prays to the Father, give them to me. Give them to me. Forgive them so they know not what they do. There's really three main times that Jesus intercedes on our behalf. Multiple ways that he does it. But three main times. Before we are born, before the cross, right, in this high priestly prayer, Jesus intercedes to the Father on our behalf. Prays for us. And in the middle of his suffering, Jesus interceded for us on the cross of the prayer. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then Jesus, present tense, right now, at the right hand of the Father, in the eternal heaven, Jesus prays and intercedes for us. Hebrews 7, 24 to 25. But he, Jesus, holds the priesthood permanently. What's a priest? A priest is the one that mediates between the people and God, who intervenes or intercedes on their behalf because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. <laughs> you see, this is what, this is what I, he lives to do. This is his existence, that he gets to pray on our behalf to the Father, that he gets to represent us to the Father. This is a permanent position that he is happy to take. As we begin this journey of Jesus on the cries and cross, let's just quickly examine the content of this first intercession. Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them. Forgiveness is the act of the divine will alone. It's, it's God's prerogative to forgive. Only God forgive, right? We, on Ash Wednesday, we learned, right, that David is praying. He knows that all his sins against people are really ultimately sins against God. And so it is divine prerogative for God to forgive. Now, we've seen in the Gospels, Jesus proclaimed forgiveness. Doesn't ask anyone. Doesn't ask the Father. Doesn't consult the Holy Spirit. 
this is to the paralytic man. And he's lowered down in the, in the room who needs to be healed of his physical issues. Jesus says, no, no, no. Your sins are forgiven. In that moment, declaring who he is, that he is God alone, because God alone is the one who forgives. He states that his, the man's sins are forgiven. Elsewhere in scripture, Jesus grants or states forgiveness. This says you're forgiven. But here, on the cross, Jesus doesn't state forgiveness to the crucifiers, to the murderers, to us. What does he do? He asks the Father to forgive them. That seems like a strange act for Jesus, the one who's just been issuing forgiveness out. He asks the Father, will you forgive them? Matthew 9, 6 says this, right, in this, but you, that you may know that the Son of Man, Jesus, has authority, authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. John 12, 32 says, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And here Jesus is indicating a location. I'm on earth, and then when I'm lifted up off earth, something else is happening here. Jesus, in this moment on the cross, is not physically on earth. Jesus, on this moment, is not physically on earth, but lifted on the cross. He's in the tension between heaven and earth. Jesus and the cross becomes the fulcrum of all eternity, time, and space. This is the crux of all intercession. The cross between heaven and earth Jesus intercedes for us. He is our representative. Let me picture this out for you because this is really important how Jesus intercedes for us. All right, so Jesus on the cross. Right, I, I apologize for my depiction of heaven. It's not accurate. <laughs> All right, so we're just going to depict uh, heaven like this. We're going to like radiate it because we know in Revelation, God is the light in all heaven, right? All right, and then uh, earth. We'll make earth blue. This is really an accurate depiction of earth, so I don't apologize for that. Right, there's lots of water on earth, right? And then we have uh, Jesus on the cross interceding on our behalf, right? Lifted up. He's not touching the earth, right? Like, that really matters. Here's the, here's the thing. When Jesus comes down, he condescends. Who's he representing? Father. He's representing God, the Father, to us. Understand? This is what we the, the God, the invisible God made visible. And so he lives out a life that demonstrates who God is to us. On the cross, Jesus is representing us to the Father. Now here's the thing. He's doing both all the time. But at this moment on the cross, he is fully representing us. God doesn't deserve to be on the cross. He is embodying everything about us. And representing, and then he's pleading to the Father. Father, forgive them. In this tension right here, in the middle between heaven and earth, the cross is the fulcrum. Jesus fully representing us at the cross. He is our representative. At that moment, Jesus bears the sins of the world, our sins. As our representative, he's no longer in the place of authority. 
because we're not in the place of authority. He can't issue divine prerogatives. It's, it's an act of obedience, of being our representative and taking our punishment is the divine prerogative, the divine will. In this moment, we see Jesus absolutely identifying with his people. No longer is he in a position on earth to ask for forgiveness or to grant forgiveness. But he asks forgiveness. He pleads it to the Father for forgiveness because he is bearing the weight and the burden of our sin on the cross. As the, as the sinners hammer the nail on the cross in each moment, Jesus doesn't just pay, bear the pain of the nail, but he pay, bears the pain of each swing of a people who deny him. Philippians 2, 5 through 8 says it this way. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though was from the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Obedience, right, which is what we're supposed to be. Obedient, because we love our God. Jesus does it for us. Jesus' words and actions are the prayers of intercession for us. It's the intercession of obedience. It's the intercession of pleading to the Father for his brothers and sisters. Forgive them, Father. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now surely, those who crucified Jesus knew they were crucifying him. But they did not know the enormity of their act. They did not know they were crucifying their creator their sustainer, and the ruler of the universe. That is the way of sin, isn't it? It deceives us. It distorts truth and reality. We can never really know the depths of our depravity on this side of eternity. But we ought to strive to know the truth of our, our sin and our reality. Our plea to the Father should be this. Father, tell me what I do. Show me what I do. Help me to understand my sin. This is part why we encourage a prayer of confession. It's not a sacrament, right? You don't come to me to receive forgiveness. Jesus intercedes on your behalf. But we encourage an act of confession. Communal confession? Personal confession? Right? You probably should be confessing to people what you do. Not all people. But to some people, we treat sin as small, independent actions to be compartmentalized, forgotten, left alone, instead of the vile, contaminant, life-destroying thing that it is. I mean, some of, some of us are more concerned right now about the coronavirus than our sin. Here's what I will tell you. You may die of the coronavirus. I don't know. You may not get it. Here's what I do know. You have the virus of sin. And you will die because of it. I think you ought to be concerned of one or the other. I think you might want to take one more seriously than the other. Sin is a lethal pandemic that is ignored 
and forgotten by the nations. What we do in our sin is that we, we put it in a little box, right? We know we're sinners. I know I sin, but that's just that part of me in my life. Here's the good part of my life. No, no, here's what sin is. It's all part of your life. If everything about you is fallen and broken, and we're learning this morning, impoverished in relationships. It's what we are. That's why Jesus is on the cross. All our sin needs to be rooted out and destroyed. As we reflect upon the cross, don't see the cross as some sentimental moment of God's love for you. But count the cost of your sin of the cross. Count the cost of sin in your life. Count the cost of the casual and nonchalant way you harm your loving father every day. The wages of that sin is death. The wages of that sin is your Savior's death, is your brother's death, Jesus hanging on the cross. In the judicial system, there's two alternatives, right? There is to enforce the penalty of law, there's justice, or there's disregard the requirements, the full requirements of law, and issue mercy to the perpetrator, right? Justice or mercy. In the human courts, those two aren't compatible. It just doesn't work that way, right? We're just like, well, we'll lessen it a little bit and we'll have mercy on the person, which may be wise, but it's not full justice. And the only way that you can have full justice in that moment, if there's a, the full penalty law is hammered down, but there's a third party that's willing to take on that penalty and have mercy on the perpetrator. That is basically what's happening in God's court. God never wavers on the full justice of the law. He's always just. There's always justice with God. But at the cross, there is this divine mercy and justice issued out the same time. Our sins, our penalty is being paid, death but he pleads for our forgiveness. He pleads for mercy for us by taking on our sin, by taking on our death, and by pleading and interceding on the Father. Justice and mercy, inconceivably happy. In, in the uh, play musical Hamilton, there is this uh, song called Unimaginable. And so it's, uh, if, you, if I haven't seen it, but here's, here's the story, I'm not gonna ruin the whole story. Well, you go read a book, right? No story of Alexander Hamilton. Um, he, here, Alexander Hamilton has cheated on his wife, is slightly complicit in his son's death, slightly. And so his wife obviously is bothered by this, right? And so there's issues, there's consequences in his life. And eventually the song is coming about how there is reconciliation. And the way they describe the song about forgiveness is they describe it as unimaginable. Forgiveness is unimaginable. I thought that is an amazing way to describe what forgiveness is. Because in reality, in our lives, at times it seems forgiveness is unimaginable. That God could ever forgive us, or that we could ever forgive other people. But the concept that, that things like that could be forgiven is unimaginable. 
But for God, it is not unimaginable. For Jesus, as the cross, it's not unimaginable. That's what he's doing. He's not just imagining it. He's making it happen. He's speaking it out into truth. At the cross, sin is dealt with justly. And we are dealt with mercifully. God's mercy is not leniency or looking past or over our sin. God's mercy is dealing squarely with our sin. Jesus' death at the cross, the means of our divine mercy. And when he says they know not what they do, the reality is we don't know what we do with every unpure thought, with every haste action, with every wasted moment. We do not know what we do. The fundamental need of humanity is fulfilled in the substitutionary atonement, the intercession of Jesus at the cross. What does Christ's intercession, intercessory prayer for us mean to us? What is he saying? He's saying, I love you. He's saying, he wants you. I want you, right? It's, it's what he said in the high priestly prayer. Father, I want them. Give them to me. It means that he's seeking us. It means that he saves us. It means he secures a future for us. It means that even though that we're not worthy, that he's declaring that, that you are worthy. Jesus on the cross means is the means of my life and is the model for my life. It's the, it's the reason why I have life and it's the model in which how I should live my life. Jesus' intercession, we know this, right? In Matthew 7, 12, right? We know the, the golden rule that Jesus says, so whatever you wish and would others do to you, do also to them, for this is the law of the prophets. This is the, the whole thing. This is what it boils down to. And we know the summary of the law and prophets is, right? Love God and love neighbors. And of course, Jesus on the cross is living this out to the fullest. What does he want us to do? To lay down our lives like he has laid down his life for us. To lay it down for others. Right? He's interceding on our behalf and he's declaring, Father, forgive them. Have mercy on them. Be graceful for them. This is the model in which Jesus lives his life. And then he ultimately lives it out on the cross with his words and with his actions. I mean, Luke 6, 35. This is what he taught before the cross. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful. He is kind to the evil. Jesus models this on the cross. The height of our enmity with God, he loves us. He loves the ungrateful. He loves the evil. He prays for our forgiveness. But Jesus doesn't model forgiveness for everyone. What? <laughs> Did he just pray for... Jesus doesn't model forgiveness for everyone. I mean, here, here's the question I want to pose to you. Do you have to forgive everyone for the harm they commit against you? No. 
You do not. You do not have to forgive everyone for the harm they commit against you. Because here's the thing. God doesn't. I'm just going to let that settle for me. But wait a second. He forgives everyone and everything. No, he doesn't. Not all are saved, are they? I'll just let that sit for a second. Luke 17, 3-4. Listen to this very closely. This is his teaching on forgiveness. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother or sister sins, rebuke him. Right? Jesus always confronts every sin. He counts it. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now, context. Did you hear it? Does he say you have to forgive everyone all the time? No. He says you need to forgive the people that repent. That doesn't mean you're going to hold grudges. It's not, it's not what I'm advocating here. Jesus doesn't hold grudges. Right? It doesn't matter. I'm not, they didn't repent. I'm not forgiven. Right? Or they didn't repent the way I wanted to. Right? You've got to keep, you got to keep, you know, whatever they do, it could be like, man, they do the same thing over and over again. They keep repenting. You still got to forgive them. That's what Jesus does. But the bottom line is forgiveness is a relational act. How can I grant forgiveness if you are not sorry? If you're not repenting? You don't know what you did is wrong. You have to repent. You have to say, I know I'm wrong. Forgiveness is granted to you. Jesus confronts all sin. And we are to confront all sin in our life. We are to rebuke all sin in our life. In ourselves and in those around us. Makes uncomfortable. And if that person repents, we are to forgive them. No matter what. Because we love them. No matter how much they sin, if they repent, we forgive them for them forever. I know that may sit a little bit funny for you. But here's the thing. The response to Jesus' first words is this. Jesus prays on our behalf. Father, forgive them, for they know not what we do. This is the model for us. What we ought to do. We ought to pray. We ought to be people that intercede for people. We love our enemies, right? Jesus loves his enemies. Not all his enemies are forgiven. He loves his enemies. We follow that model. We intercede and pray fervently for them all. Right? So that's, that's not holding the grudge, right? If someone has done something harm against you, it's not holding a grudge. It's praying, Lord, Father, help them to repent. Help them to see the error of their ways. We are to intercede for their forgiveness. We can ask Jesus to intercede for the people around us. We pray for their forgiveness. And we pray for their repentance. This is what Stephen does. Stephen, the first martyr in Acts. He follows Jesus. Acts 7, 60. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, as he was about to be stoned, Lord, do not hold their sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He died. We pray. 
We are to pray for our enemies. We are to love for our enemies. We are to ask for them to forgiveness for them or we ask for repentance. We know that when we ask for the Lord to forgive them, what we're really asking them, Lord, is for to repent because we know God will forgive if we repent. Here's the second thing. We pray and then we repent. We repent. Jesus prays that the Father forgive us. We need to repent. Repent is when you do something wrong, literally go in the opposite direction, doing the opposite thing. That was bad, let me do the opposite. Let me do what is good. Let me ask for forgiveness on that. Sees uh, Luke's proclamation of the gospel at the end of it. This is what Luke's telling. Go out and do this. This is what he's saying. Luke 24, 46 to 47. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. Did you hear that? That repentance should be proclaimed. At the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, what does he say the gospel is? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Change your ways. Go in the opposite direction. 1 John 1 9, we say this if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now you may think, man, how can I confess every sin? If I forget one sin, is that sin not forgiven? Wow. Look at, you don't have enough time to confess your sins. God knows this. God knows this. You don't have enough time. Because at the foundation, at the foundation at the cross, right, the real issue of our sin, that repentance was really necessary, is that we usurp God's authority. We deny him and claim to be God's ourselves. That's the foundation of our sin. There's lots of little sins that is the symptom of that one sin that is turning away from God. And the really one sin that we need to start to repent from is like, Father, forgive me for going my own way. Forgive me for ignoring you. Forgive me for denying you. The primary repentance begins with the confession that Jesus is Lord. And he is king. Here's, here's the thing, though. I'm really foundational to understand, right? That God's grace is not just waiting. Not waiting for your repentance. Repentance is necessary. That God, God is not just sitting out there while I die on the cross for them, just waiting for them to turn their lives around. He'd be waiting a long time. Because we're enemies. God's grace is that he sends his spirit in us and begins to change our heart of stone to a heart of flesh that can turn back to him. That can repent. Repentance is necessary. Jesus prays fervently on the cross for his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. We ought to pray the same way, because he taught us and modeled us to love. To love him, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies. And more than that, we repent. We turn from our ways and run back to the Father. 
And when we do, we find that the Father has been waiting for our repentance. But he's been running after us the whole time. This is the Father that is not just pouting at home, but this is the Father that has been seeking diligently his children. And so, and I think one illustration is when we actually turn back to look at the Father, I think he runs right into us because he's been on our tail the whole time waiting for us to turn. May we rest in the loving embrace of our Father who forgives, who grants mercy. Father, forgive us. Forgive them. Because we know not what we do. Let us pray.